Welcome to Ducks on the Pond podcast, the podcast of America's most exciting fantasy baseball league. Uh, I'm Trent Ratting, and today I'm joined by three of the Ducks on the Pond, Jack, Bardo, and Jordan. Guys, thanks so much for being on. Uh, we have a really exciting show today. We're going to be discussing uh, all of the free agent moves now that things have cooled down and we're in the middle of a lockout. We have plenty of time to break down a lot of the big moves that have happened in MLB over the past month, uh, as well as to kind of talk about where teams stand after all the all these moves. Uh, then finally, we'll do a little bit of a, um, we'll do our honest analysis uh, segment where we talk about one of the teams in the league and uh, just some some things that we can we think they should do to improve their team. Uh, so yeah, without further ado, let's introduce uh, some of the ducks that we have today. Uh, guys, why don't you uh, tell us uh, just your name and uh, maybe your favorite Christmas music song to get going? Ooh, uh, well, my name is Jack Dunn. Um, I have to say my favorite Christmas song is probably uh, Charlie Brown Christmas, whatever that classic one is. The name I don't actually know. Just every time it comes on, my family goes a little nuts for it. So there's my Christmas flavor. And I'm, name, uh, oh, go, go ahead, Jordan. My name is Jordan Papua, also known as Mr. Commissioner. Uh, and my favorite Christmas song, probably have yourself a merry little Christmas. Keep it very classic, keep it very classy, and have a quiet night by the fire. And uh, my name's uh, Bardo, just, just that, definitely. And uh, my favorite the Christmas song. I gotta go with uh, Jingle Bell Rock. Nice. Hey, you guys got good taste. Well, without uh, further ado, then let, we can we can we can move from uh, Christmas music to to baseball and some of the big moves that we've had uh, over the past month. I mean, guys, I know if, if you're like me, you probably were surprised to see you know how how big of a push there was before the deadline uh, for this uh this lockout um a lot of guys going all over the place um but really what i want to do is uh just uh especially from i want to take it more from a fantasy perspective to start out with um i want i want to play a little game of uh, we'll call it uh help or hurt um basically you're gonna i'm gonna give you guys uh, each of you a name and you're just gonna tell me does does this new destination the player went to does this help or hurt their fantasy value um so Guys, just start out. I'll, I'll actually uh, kick it off with you, Jordan. Um, I want you to talk to me about uh, Marcus Simeon to the Rangers. What do you think? Does this uh, help or hurt his fantasy value? I, it's tough to be in a better lineup than what Simeon had in Toronto last year. And obviously his production in terms of home runs, in terms of OBP, it's not something that's going to change based on the lineup runs and RBIs. Yeah, it'll change, but it might not. Um, it's not going to be entirely driven by, driven by the guys that you have hitting in front of you or behind you. Uh, but I do think that a good portion of his bounce back last year can be attributed in, in some small way to the good vibes in the Toronto lineup for, for lack of a better term. It's, it's not only is there going to be more opportunities for RBIs and more opportunities to be driven in when you have better hitters ahead of you and better hitters behind you, um, but I also think it's a little bit easier to stay in a groove when you know that, hey, maybe I did go over three last night, but I've got a bunch of dudes in the lineup who are going to pick me up and, and be putting up runs when I'm not. I think it's a little bit easier to keep it rolling. It's easier to have a good season when other people around you are having good seasons. Rangers have made a lot of good moves this offseason. They're still not there, right? They're, this is still a team that won, or I'm sorry, lost 102 games last year. Um, you don't fix a lineup purely by plugging in Corey Seager and Marcus Semien. Um, so I'd say Semien slightly stocked down. With that said, I, I still like Semien for next year. He's not somebody that I'm out on because he's moved to, to Texas. He, he's still going to be a high-quality second baseman in the fantasy landscape. Any quick thoughts you guys have to add to that? Yeah, um, I'm going to go to bat for Dave a little bit. I said that Simeon's move to Texas definitely hurt, but not as much as we probably think it should because of park factors and how tough uh, the AL West is in terms of big outfields in general. Um, what I will say is that he has like a slight 
very remote chance to maybe even pick up third base eligibility. Uh, they're starting Isaiah Kiner-Falefa there now, and there's plans to bring up Josh Young. Um, maybe they play a little Nick Solek at second base or IKF moves over to second base because they see he's more proficient there. Um, at least like an in-season 10-start string at third base doesn't seem like it's impossible for Marcus Simeon, who we know can man the position and has that capability from that side of the infield. Um, beyond that, even entering his age 32 season, we're still talking about a guy with 87th percentile sprint speed, and he stole 15 bags last year for Toronto. I imagine that number is going to become pretty consistent. I think he's probably good for 12 to 18 this year um, on a Texas team that's historically loved to run. Beyond that, I mean, the lineup is pretty atrocious. Um, Adoles Garcia likely hitting behind him if he's hitting behind Corey Seager or Corey Seager would be hitting behind him. Um, so maybe that run total does come down. But I do anticipate that Texas will add beyond Cole Calhoun. Um, I mean, there's still guys that would fit in these lineups, uh, in this lineup, like maybe a Jock Peterson, Eddie Rosario, Jorge Soler, Kyle Schwarber on the high end. I don't think it's a death sentence for Simeon in any way. Um, and in redraft formats, I would still be buying. I think he's one of the elite cornerstone guys. So no, I think it's I think it's really good, guys, uh, with regard to Simeon. Um, another player, I guess we can kind of segue that with the rain talk about the Rangers, uh, is Corey Seeger. Bardo, what do you think about Corey Seeger? Do you think this new location in Texas being in Texas is gonna help or hurt his fantasy value? Uh, I think it kind of depends on what else or how quickly the rest of the Rangers uh, infield and now they're really outfield out, outside of Adolis Garcia can like get on on base. I'm curious where they're going to put him in the lineup. Uh, really curious about that. I, you know, I can imagine anywhere two to five with the Rangers. I'm you know, kind of, I'd, I'd be a screaming fan if, if my $300 million player was in the five hole. Um, but uh, I, I think it will probably help overall. I think it will be maybe a little hurty on the OBP and like the long-term stats a little bit. Um, OBP also just because Texas, you know, players moving to Texas, it's a, it's a different game. You're playing 80 games in hundred degree weather um, just long-term over, over a big season. I think um, those accumulation stats will probably just tinker a little bit between, between more wear uh, just from playing more heat. Um, you know, you like, like uh, uh, Jackson with the big outfields in the AL West and um and, and just having uh, you know, a weaker lineup around them. I think it's a fair point. And I'd, uh, I'd actually, you know, if we were in an OPS league, I actually would really like this because Corey Seager is a doubles machine. I mean, he, and you put him in a park with huge gaps and that's, I mean, he's going to get tons of doubles in that park. And even in the West, I think that'd be great for him, but I don't, I don't know if necessarily for our format, which is more just OBP and then, we don't, you know, really don't count doubles or anything like that. It's, I don't know if that's really going to help his value. It might, his home run total might go down a little bit. Um, all those parks are pretty, you know, cavernous to say the least. I'm trying to think, are there any, I'm so, yeah, I guess tech, or uh, Houston's really the only really hitter friendly one that at least comes to mind um, in the AL West. So I'm, I'm not a huge fan of it for him, but I'm sure the, the Rangers are ecstatic about it, but yeah, I, th I think from a fantasy value perspective, more important than the move for Seager is just going to be, can he stay healthy? I think he's yeah. one of those guys in the judge and Buxton vein that, you know, if he can stay on the field, he's going to produce. I, I'm, I can't remember off the top of my head a period of time where we've seen Seager 100% healthy on the field and just not playing well. You know what I mean? I, I think that that's a bigger concern as a, as we go into 2022 than than the um, team change would be necessarily yeah. interesting well I guess another another guy I'd like to talk about uh, Jack uh, an old friend of yours um, is uh, Javi Baez well I guess he's still on your team isn't he um, yes, sir. actually maybe, maybe we shouldn't have you talk about him how about how about uh, talk about Robbie Ray going to Seattle Jack what do you think about that um, I think this move helps Ray. Um, I really like that he got out of the AL East and, you know, the AL East, the hardest division of pitching in baseball, even if you're pitching for Toronto and you don't have to face the scariest lineup in the division. Um, regardless, like Ray is not going to duplicate this Cy Young campaign, um, but there's still a ton of swing and miss in this profile. And what he did to really mitigate 
the home run problem that he's had throughout his career, which his home run per, per fly ball rate uh, was the best since 2017, which is impressive given that he scattered starts between uh, Toronto and Buffalo. And then obviously like Yankee Stadium, Fenway. Um, so there is a lot of good in what he did. And obviously that led to the Cy Young win. Um, but he really stopped walking people. He's attacking the zone at a rate that we haven't seen before. Um, his 6.1% walk rate was by far the best that he's put together for an entire year. And I just, there's a good reason to be excited about Robbie Ray in fantasy in 2022. I think he should probably walk into a top 30 season um, without too much trouble. And he might even have the benefit of <clears throat> Oakland, like selling off Matt Olson, Matt Chapman, uh, maybe even Ramon Laureano. And then he's really pitching against an easy lineup where he can just go through, have each, you know, shutout innings, rack up 10 plus Ks. Um, in a points league for that scenario, I actually really like Ray. And even in our league, I think he's still a clear top 30 option. You guys agree? Yeah, I, I think... I, I was taking a look at some of the numbers that he put up in 2021 against the AL East teams. And it wasn't, um, it, it actually wasn't what I expected. Um, he put up a 402 ERA in three games against the Orioles, 313 in four games against the Sox, put up a 6.6 .6 ERA in three games against the Yankees and, and a 233 ERA in actually six games that he started against the Rays. Um, so he performed fairly well with, with the outlier of those Yankees. He performed fairly well against high-powered offenses. And obviously that's all in, in very small sample sizes. Um, but I do think getting out to the West Coast and, and playing some weaker offenses on a, on a kind of week-to-week -week basis will help boost his value a little bit. I certainly prefer him to somebody who we might talk about a little bit later in Gosman. So mm, yeah. kind of go in the opposite direction. Yeah. And it's funny when I, when I mentioned where he was the guy, the team he was coming from, I said, I said he was on Reed's team, but I think for a reason I was confusing him and Carlos Rodon. I don't know why in my mind they're, they're the same, but these, these two guys who just kind of broke out last year, lefties who I don't know if they're going to repeat that success again, but I'd say of the two, I actually like, I definitely like Ray better. Um, I mean, how can you not, but uh yeah, another guy I'd like to talk about, uh, I guess, Barta, we'll take what you take lead on, or actually, uh, Jordan, you take lead on this one. How about uh, Javi Baez to the Tigers? What do you think? Is that a guy, or is that um, helping or hurting his fantasy value? I'd say hurting, similar with moving out of a better lineup into what is a worse lineup in, in 2022. I think the move that the Tigers are making is along the lines of what the Cubs did with Stroman, which is we're still not going to be good in 2022. But if you want to have Javi Baez in 2023, 2024, 2025, you have to have him in 2022 as well, right? You, you don't have the option of putting it off. Um, I think most people saw the Tigers as a potential landing spot for either Correa or, or Baez think it's pretty clear that that Correa is the better option um Tigers ended up with with Baez I don't think it completely changes who we think of Javier Baez as as a as a player I think most of his production will will remain the same um moving into the AL Central yeah you know you don't have to go up against um some of the rotations that that he might have seen in the NL East, at least last year. Um, I know the NL Central is awful as well. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think that the production value overall remains the same. And again, moving out of a, a better lineup, I just don't. I, I think that's slight stock down. Yeah, I, I'd agree, Jordan. I'd say stock down a little bit. Um, I mean, he's already been like kind of a fringy OBP league kind of guy just because it's always you know it's his best seasons you know we're like 340 or something like that uh but you know he, he gets around 300 300 320 normally uh but you know I'm I'm curious about how they're gonna pitch to him in Detroit um I'm wondering I mean I can't even I'm Heimer Condelario gonna be behind him uh like I'm, I'm not really sure how much protection he's gonna have and I think they're just gonna expose the swing and miss in his game uh, I do think he'll get a lot more stolen bases uh, and I do think he'll help uh, the other other addition, Erod. Uh, a big issue that uh, at least uh, Heim Bloom 
uh, says was was a problem uh, was Erod's uh, BABIP to the left side of the infield, which, you know, it's Red Sox. I, you know, as much as I love those two guys, they're not the best fielders. Hey, you know, Xander's all right. But uh, having Javi behind him, and I believe Condelario is a solid or at least average third baseman, um, uh, I think it'll help uh, them get along. I think it'll be great defensively there, too. I think they'll really shine. They'll, they'll let him play up even more so than the Cubs did just because he's their big ticket guy right now. I, I'd almost be a little concerned about that, honestly. I think one of the things that worked with Baez on the Mets was that he didn't have to be the dude. He wasn't even the best player. You know, he, he was walked. probably he, he was he was the third best player in the infield, right? I mean, that's somebody in and Baez being somebody who I think can feel the need to be the guy when there isn't another clear leader on the team, on the field, in the clubhouse. I think there's a decent chance that he tries to overextend himself even more than he already does, tries to do even more at the plate than he's already trying to do. Um, obviously, and that's that's not based on numbers, but just, again, from a kind of um, feel of, of the team and, and construction of the roster, I think it might might lead to some even more swing and miss if that's possible. I'm trying to keep swing. I actually, um, I, I definitely agree that might bring his value down, but just only a little bit. I mean, I think it only might just bring down his power numbers just a smidge. I think everything else will stay the same. I actually you guys are talking about the lineup he has around him. And I actually, I I'm pretty high on the Tigers core. I mean, they're right now. Um, I mean, obviously they have guys like Badu and Grossman and Condelario. Um, but, and they also have Jonathan scope there. None of those guys are like, you know, necessarily easy outs, but they're about to add Riley green and Spencer Torkelson who, I mean, within the next year or two can be very like elite level bats in that lineup. So you wedge Javi right in between or behind them, and he's either going to be in line for RBI opportunities or run opportunities. So, I mean, I definitely um, – I wouldn't – I mean, maybe this first year um, a little bit less value, but in the long term, I think he could he could still shine. Um, so, Jack, you, you should hold on to him a little bit longer, I think. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that, those, that's Javi. Um, I mean, we probably have time for another – like maybe one more guy – uh, and Jack, I'll let you take this one. Uh, this is this is uh, maybe yeah. This is maybe to the AL East. How about Kevin Gosman going to the Blue Jays? What do you think? He's one of my guys, so you can uh, tell me what you really think. Yeah, I'm looking for my Gosman notes real quick. There he is. Okay. Um, so I don't love this news for Gosman. Uh, when he was rumored to Seattle, I liked it a lot more, and. This is like a really outside shot sort of thing to maybe think about. There was a tweet today that the Toronto Raptors will be limiting their capacity to 50%. Um, putting Ray as a predominantly fly ball pitcher in that environment in Buffalo again, if that needs to happen, sounds like a potential disaster class if he has to go up against the core of the Red Sox lineup um, and the core of the Yankees lineup, especially because he's a two-pitch guy mostly. Um, and he really had trouble in the second half maintaining that splitter control. Um, he was still throwing it effectively for strikes, but he wasn't missing the bats that he was used to. Uh, Gosman had a 4.42 ERA or 77 in the third innings in the second half last year. He picked it back up in September and October, but his, uh, his August was really, really rough. Um, the K rates were a little depressed, but not that bad. The walk rates were fine. The real problem was quality of contact. He was just leaving pitches over the heart of the plate and teams were hitting him hard. Um, I don't foresee the development of a third pitch in his profile right now. So when you add that to increased competition, I don't love it. Um, I'm not completely out on Gosman, especially from a dynasty standpoint, but he's probably someone I would hesitate to draft and redraft for 2022. Yeah, I, unfortunately I agree with you. Um, is that was looking like, I mean, I got him in what third round last year in our draft. I mean, and turned out to be like an absolute stud. And it was just, I mean, of all the teams he'd go to, I mean, I actually, I like what the Blue Jays are doing with their pitching development. I mean, they've done a good job with Hinjin Ryu. They've done a good job with Robbie Ray, making those guys into, you know, good pitchers. And I, so I, I think they do a good job with pitch mix, actually, with the guys they have. It's, it's just, I don't know. It, again, in that division, and then like you talk about with the park risk, I mean, 
I don't want him playing in Dunedin or, or in Buffalo. I mean, that's just that's that's a recipe for disaster. So yeah, yeah I think Toronto's not the death sentence from a pitcher standpoint that it used no, to no. be in terms of like everyone there is incompetent. They've developed Manoa. Maybe Pearson takes a step forward next year. There's a little creative juice going on in their pitching lab. Absolutely. So actually, we have time to talk about one more, Bardo. Why don't you why don't you take it? Uh, Alex Cobb. What do you think? He went. To, he just went to the Giants. What do you think about that move? You know, Alex Cobb's always kind of intrigued me. Um, back even back when it all the way back in Tampa. Um, you know, I always thought he was just one of Tampa's you know classic changeup artists, and he he kind of still is. But he went through so many injuries with that awful signing with the Orioles. Um, and then he kind of really redeemed himself last year uh, back with the Angels. Um, I believe his second half was actually better than the first half, if I'm remembering right. I I'm you know don't watch as many West Coast games as I used to. I just don't stay up as late. Uh, but I, I do I like the move. I think um, his you know he, he's going back to a sabermetric community that's re- like really really going to enhance his pick, pick, pitch mix to like effectively maximize what he can do uh, still at least. So he is getting older now. I think I, I, how much he's in his 30s. He's in 34 year old season. Yeah. I, I, this, I, I feel like this is a Jeremy Helkson with the, with the Phillies kind of fading out with like his last good year or two. I think how long was the deal? I didn't, um, was it three years? I think, I think it'll be good for like a year and a half or so, yeah. but Cobb, Cobb it'll be, uh, it's getting there. Was it a two year deal? I think two. Oh, I like that better. Definitely. <laughs> Yeah. I have to say I like it, to be honest, just because we've seen what they've done with Anthony DiScalfani, Alex Wood. It seems like this is the new landing spot, and kudos to the Giants for aging starting pitchers who just want to rejuvenate their career. Um, I like what he has in terms of control. His secondaries are relatively attractive, even though he doesn't throw them that much. He has a nice splitter that he can get whiffs on, um, and his knuckle curve, although it's like kind of a show-me option, uh, it's really effective when he mixes it, mixes it in that second or third time through the lineup. Um, if you draft him next year and you kind of just sit him every single time he goes to Colorado and every single time he plays the Dodgers, you'll probably get like 125 innings of like SP4, SP5 fantasy value. And for a guy that's basically free, that's pretty nice. Yeah. I, th- I like I like this move. I like San Francisco as kind of this new, I mean, the pitching factory in a different way. You know, I mean, uh, you see places like, uh, maybe like Miami or Milwaukee take young players and really make them something. But it's been cool to see how San Francisco is kind of taking these reclamation project type guys and really refine their pitch mix a little bit, put them in their great ballpark and just let them do well. I mean, it's, it's been, I mean, I think this is a kind of place a pitcher like Alex Cobb would love to go is this, I kind of put this on par with the Corey Kluber to the, to the uh, raise type move, except even better um, because I think Cobb is actually even a better spot than Kluber is right now. So it'll, uh, I think it's a good move. So. Hard to imagine a, a organization I'd less rather a pitcher be with than the yeah. angels. So hard, hard to get worse than, than yeah, that. In my that's right. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. So uh, that, that's, that's kind of our segment. That's our segment on, the players in particular and their fantasy value, but I want to, I'm going to kind of shift this to uh, kind of where, where things stand now from a fantasy or not from a fantasy perspective, but from like an MLB team perspective uh, after these signings. So um, I want each of you guys, I'll give you a team and you're going to tell me if this, uh, if this team after the move, they moves they've made, are they a contender pretender or are they just a non-contender altogether? So um, you can take this, from a perspective of this year and maybe also next few years as well, because we know these moves aren't always next year, but they might, might have long-term effect. So uh, we'll, we'll give one to each one of you guys. Uh, so why don't Jordan, why don't you start us off? Uh, talk to me about, well, actually, yeah. Talk to me about the Mets. What do you think about after all the moves they've made, what, where, where does this leave the Mets? Are you, are they a contender pretender or are they a non-contender? I think the Mets are a contender. It's hard to look at that roster as it currently stands and tell me that they're not going to go out and compete. I think that the Mets always look at their best in December or January, and it's kind of a little bit of a how sharply downhill is it going to go from there? Um, But, I mean, shit. 
DeGrom and Scherzer at, at the top of a rotation, if, if you put in three semi-competent quad A pitchers behind them, you've got to imagine that, that you're going to have one of the better rotations in baseball every time you go into a three-game series. Um, and, and as far as the moves that they've made, I do like the Marte move. I don't think he's necessarily the answer in center field that they've been looking for. Um, obviously stole a ton of bases last year, still has some juice in the legs. But if you look at his defensive metrics, he's uh, right about average or, or even slightly below average. I don't think he is a um, solution that, you know, the, the golden key for their outfield defense. But I think if you run out three roughly average or slightly below average defenders out there, you, you'll be all right, um, especially in a division that I don't particularly foresee being the most difficult. It might be a very competitive division, uh, but I don't think it's, it's the most difficult division in baseball. If you look at the Nationals, it's, um, they, they've kind of packed it in at this point. Take a look at the Marlins. The Marlins are in a similar spot to some other teams that we might talk about where they have a really good core, mostly on the pitching side, but they still might be a, a couple of years away, a couple of seasons away. Um, talk about the Phillies who are, you know, high, I would say not as good as the Mets, but in a similar position where you look at their roster and you say, man, that that's a team that should be able to, to get out there and compete. So I, I would put the Mets as preseason favorites to, to win the NL East, which I guess is bold. Um, looking at, looking at the world series champs Braves, but I don't know. I, I just look at that rotation front lined by, DeGrom and, and Scherzer, and it's tough to tough to bet against those two guys. All right, what do you think? Uh, I mean, currently I have the I have the Mets at like like somewhere around like eighty eight to ninety wins. Really, I mean, I love I love DeGrom and Scherzer as long as uh, they can both stay healthy. As much as Scherzer's always been healthy, you know, he had that weird arm fatigue thing in the playoffs, which is probably just a short rest thing. Uh, but he is getting older. Uh, as much as he is like getting better as he's getting older, which is so crazy. Um, I do like all the other moves that the Mets have done. Really, um, they are you know Steve, Steve Cohen's really backing up the uh, the pay train uh, for sure. Uh, I do think he's pretty much paying for wins, which it's New York. It's what you're supposed to do in New York, really. Um, but I you know I think it's a it's a little bit different of a strategy that the Sox used to do with Pedro. It's like you kind of go 500 with the rest of your starters and then your, your top guy, or in this case, you have top two top guys. Now you, you, you know, you win 25, 20, 26 of their starts or something like that. And you make it to the playoffs that way. I will, uh, as the resident Mets fans answer some of those concerns and questions, I think I'm actually lower than both of you on the team as a whole. Um, but there are specific parts that I'm a little more bullish on. Um, the first bullish part is not Sterling Marte from a fantasy value, but and we'll probably get to that at some point. Um, but it's the outfield defense I actually like significantly more. Um, so Brandon Nemo, I know my my golden child was 86 percentile and outs above average last year as a center fielder. When the narrative has pretty consistently been like Brandon Nemo is not a center fielder. If you move him to a corner outfield spot, you'll probably get the best defensive left fielder in baseball and he can compensate a little bit for that decline in Marte's defensive ability. I'm particularly bullish on Nimmo and I think he's a clear cut example of a better real life player than that of a fantasy player. Um, <clears throat> moving on to the pitching, obviously DeGrom and Scherzer is a two headed monster of the likes we've seen very few times um, ever, but the rest of that rotation is pretty scary. Um, I remember when we first signed Taiwan Walker, we were kind of looking at him as like, a really supercharged five starter and now he looks a lot like our team's three starter and then you have cookie and tyler mcgill i mean tyler mcgill i love to death as a meme um, but he has 229 professional innings ever and he's our fifth starter and the depth beyond him is david peterson and nobody there's no one else there it's very scary um carlos carrasco has maybe a low end two starter ceiling, but he hasn't shown that in quite some time. And I wouldn't really bank on anything more than a four starter. If you get 150 innings out of Carlos Carrasco, you're cooking with fire. Um, but as, as the team's composed right now, I see the same problem we had last year. Um, it's an offense that on paper has tremendous ceiling. 
What I do like about the offense is they took out all the K rate with Javi Baez and maintained a level floor and then added two low K rate guys in Starling Marte and Mark Kanha. Um, between Kanha and Marte, they do a lot of what Nimmo does, but there's just a lot of tough outs in the lineup. But really what's going to be the success or failure of this team is how much we have to use the bullpen. The bullpen in short burst last year actually wasn't bad. The problem was that the Mets had one of the lowest total star, um, like innings from their starting pitchers. And that's because the injury train just ripped through as it does every single year. Um, this bullpen, even with the departure of Aaron Loop, still has Edwin Diaz, Trevor May. Um, <clears throat> Sean Reed Foley was quietly electric. I love his stuff. I think he'll probably be a pretty big part of this bullpen as a long reliever. But if they're not going to get consistent innings out of their starters, which Scherzer's a question mark, DeGrom's a question mark, Cookie's an enormous question mark. Tylen Walker was hot out of the gates, but flamed out pretty quick. Can he add to his endurance this year? And then you have McGill and Peterson. Um, to really be contenders, this team needs another level or another starter to the level of Kevin Gossman or Robbie Ray. Missing on both of those guys and Marcus Stroman's return probably hurt. I expect them to continue to add probably another bullpen arm. Um, they still need a power bat. And they definitely do need that two, three starter to just make sure they have the innings. I was really pounding the Rich Hill drum. I thought he would have been a great ad for them for nothing. Um, that was a good Bloom signing. So we'll see. Right now, I have them as contenders in an extended playoff format that I anticipate will come through the CBA. Um, and that's what the roster as is. But if we went into this roster with last year's format, I really expect much of the same from last year. Jack, I want, I want Tyler Anderson pitching in Queens in 2022. Oh. I think he's a good fit for he's not going to be your two starter, three starter in the in the lines of Gosman that you're looking for, but he might be able to make some starts in a five or, you know, if you guys decide to switch it up, move to a little bit of a six man rotation a couple times through somebody who can provide a little bit of bulk out of the bullpen, maybe as well, if, if you're trying to get him in and, you know, get two, three innings out of him, only run him through the lineup once. I think he's somebody who could start to fill some of the gaps in both the rotation and the bullpen without costing you too much, without being too much of a risk. He's a guy who you can cut if you get into June, July, and it just isn't working. Nobody's going to bat an eye at, at Tyler Anderson getting cut. Um, so I, I think he'd be a, a good fit. He I popped like a bit for the Pirates. He popped a little bit briefly mm -hmm. there. Yeah, if, I, if we get 110 innings in various formats or like somewhere between 80 and 110 out of Tyler Anderson, I mean, that's so much better than Jared Eikhoff and like Anthony Bonda and the guys who are picking up pivotal innings last year for us. So I would be totally fine with that. And I hope they do make those sort of, you know, low downside um, just depth moves to make sure this team doesn't crumble and fall apart. I do think, you know, relating it back to, you know, the CBA still – you know, to be negotiated. Uh, I think the Mets would stand to benefit a ton if, with a National League DH. Um, definitely one of the higher uh, NL themes to benefit from that, um, definitely. Absolutely. I totally agree. Whether it's Alonzo, J.D. Davis, or, I mean, even the ghost of Robinson Cano going out and signing another bet, it just adds a ton of versatility to this lineup. Dom Smith. Played like Jeff McNeil instead of J.D. Davis at third base or um, – Escobar, you know, that's just significantly better for the pitching staff. I totally agree. So, guys, kind of switching gears here to another team. Um, Barty, why don't you take this? Tell me, talk to me about the Tigers. What do you think about uh, what do you think about them? And especially in the next two, three years, is this team a going to be a um, is it a contender, a pretender, or are they just going to be a non-contender altogether? So I think this year uh, they're still too far away. I, I do I do like them, uh, you know, getting into the, the wild card mix or, you know, however many wild cards there will be uh, in uh, 2023, 2024. Mm -hmm. um, I, the Tigers are actually, I think they were pretty, like, their record was pretty solid um, the last two-ish months of the season. Uh, if I'm remembering right, I believe they were more, like at least over 500. Um, and it was definitely showing a lot of signs of, of uh, improvement on the pitching side and the hitting side. Um, you know, Scooball Sco and Mize are, you know, taking, making their strides. Um, I think Scooball probably got called up a little too early last year. 
Um, but I, I, I think he rebounded well from a couple from a bad stretch in the middle there. Um, and I do uh, really like the, and, you know, also Erod being added to obviously is, is great there. So you have already like three fits of rotation and they still have, um, who is that lefty? I can't remember his name. Uh, they never traded him. Uh, I think, is, did Boyd get waived? Um, he got, waved. he got waived. Yeah. Yeah. They still have Spencer Turnbull as well. So and Matt Manning, the flaming Matt Manning. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. the Tigers are one of the big. I mean, you could hear me talk about it earlier. They're one of my the big teams I've been watching for a while, and I know they've they've taken a little bit of a different path than some of these other teams that have taken a lot longer in the rebuild. But I kind of I like a lot of the guys they've they brought in, and I think it, I think it really. I mean that. Ed, that Erod signing, I think, is nice. I mean, because last year we saw his, you know, FIP was still pretty good. I mean, he still looked like, even though he was giving him a lot of runs, I mean, I think that changes scenery out of the AL East into a park that's, I mean, huge. And then going into the AL Central, which is just a weak division in general, along with, again, a better FIP, I think that's going to bode really well, really, for him. And I think you kind of have an Erod long term, more of like a horse for that rotation. And you can put, you know, guys like, Mize, Scooble, and Manning in there. I really, I think they're gonna. I think it's really gonna make that, that those three guys. That's really what's gonna make or break them. I, it's funny because this team, the the strength of their system, their farm system for a while was their pitching. I mean, if you, you, you everybody always heard about Mize and Scooble and Manning, how these three were three were gonna be awesome, but they've come up and yeah, they've had they've had their growing pains. And if they can really become an elite trio or even solid. I think even, you know, even pitching at like a three level, I mean, I think, I think this will be a really good team, especially in a week AL central. Um, I, you know, I've heard concerns about the lineup, but I mean, listen to this, you guys tell me what you think about this lineup. Uh, like Robbie, Robbie Grossman, uh, Kiel Badu, Spencer Torkelson, Javi Baez, Riley Green, Jonathan Scope, Heimer Candelario and Tucker Barnhart. Like I really don't hear a, like a week, spot in there it's not that doesn't sound like a rebuilding team to me this this is like a team that actually could put up some runs and if some of those young hitters develop could be actually a pretty solid team um so this is by no means like I, th I think I don't think this team is a contender yet because of the pitching um, I think they need to show a lot more in that regard but um I really like the the future for, for a team like this so and they still got a couple more pitching prospects too, and uh, Bo Burrows and Alex Fiedo, who had Tommy John after and hasn't really pitched in his professional career yet that much. Um, I do really like uh, 2023, 2024, a lot brighter than this next year, though. Absolutely. Totally. I will say that uh, they've invested into the development of Manning, Mize, and Scooball. Tucker Barnhart's one of the better receivers. He's not on like the Jonah Heim level, um, but he's really, really going to earn some strikes for that staff. And I like where they're going in 2022. I think if there's an extended playoff format, they're going to compete for a wild card. Absolutely. I think that, that that's an underrated signing, but that could be huge for their young pitchers. So, yeah, those are, um, so those are the, I got a little bit of our discussion about these, where these teams are after the big off season so far. Uh, but now I'd like to kind of get into our last segment where we talk about one of the teams in our league, just give them honest analysis of their team and uh, just tell, tell them the things that they need to hear, things that maybe maybe some brutally honest breakdown, uh, things that we think they maybe need to, that they're doing well, they're doing better. Uh, so the team I'd like to talk about this week is uh, Evan's team, Power Troutage. Uh, so, uh, I'll, Jack, I'll let you start on this. Tell me, tell me what's what's Evan doing well? Uh, so what Evan's doing well is he, in my opinion, has the highest ceiling of any outfield in all of DOTP. Um, so obviously, you know, you're sitting there with Trout, Springer, Starling Marte, and the new addition, J.D. Martinez. And it's all really health dependent. Um, we need to see somehow Trout and Springer both play 135 games. I know Springer has not had that track record really ever. And Trout has now played less games than Aaron Judge, I think, since 2018 which really hurts to say. Um, that's not a good outlook, but what we do like is the ceiling. I mean, the ceiling's tremendous. All of those guys can finish as top 10 outfielders and no one would even bat an eye. Um, 
So the potential there is enormous. And when you add guys like Brandon Lau, who's probably the steal of all acquisitions that we've seen in the last year and a half of uh, the league outside of the Hira debacle, um, <clears throat> add that to maybe a Bregman bounce back. Maybe he knows he has to compensate if Correa is going to walk and they end up with Story or they end up bringing up Jeremy Pena. Um, there's a lot of offensive potential in this team and there's things to like. Um, there are plenty that I do not like and Sterling Marte is one of those players. So maybe I'll wrap that back um, in the what we don't like section. Yeah, any, just real quick, guys, anything else that you want to say that you do like about this team? It reminds me a lot of my team and that it's a team that you can look at and you can be like man like if this clicks and it, like if he stays healthy and if he clicks like that it, that's a league winning you know jack as you were just saying that's a league winning offensive core right there and and you know if somebody told if somebody were to come in and tell you hey you know this team won the championship with rizzo lau bregman story Marte, springer trout JD and Trey Mancini, you'd be like, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Makes sense. Um, but what are, what are the chances that that actually happens? Maybe. All right. Maybe pretty good. May, you know, there's a shot, there's enough there to talk yourself into, but then on the flip side, and this is where I, I really relate to it. Okay. So, so who are you going to move these players to, right? Like, where are you going to improve? If you're going to improve, it's going to be through trades, right? This isn't a team that's drafting somebody in, in the first year player draft that's coming up and, and somebody that is immediately going to contribute unless you do get a Gosman or, or somebody like that, like, like you did last year, Trent. Um, like, who are you trading? I don't know, for example, Anthony Rizzo to right now that's going nope. to actually get you something that's going to help you win this year nobody right like that that when you have Rizzo as your first baseman and this is kind of how I felt when when I had Rizzo he's kind of your cap because the teams that have better first baseman than you are already competing they're not interested in trading for Rizzo the teams that don't have as good first baseman as Rizzo are teams that are not competing right now they're teams who are looking to the future and they don't want Rizzo um, and so th I, that's why I kind of relate to Evan in the situation that he's in right now. Yeah. So maybe I'll transition us to some things that we think he can improve on. Uh, Bardo, what do you think? I mean, it's a, it's a pretty solid team overall. Uh, I definitely think it's on uh, the way up. Um, you know, the outfield, like, like, uh, Jack already discussed is you know, top, top class. Um, maybe I, I don't love Tucker Barnhart in Detroit. Uh, I know he's facing probably worse pitching, except he doesn't get to be up on the Pirates. But you know, there's the Twins and everyone else is that is down in the uh, AL West. Um, but I mean, over overall, I really like it. Um, they both have really kind of. I was going to talk about Rizzo <laughs> too, but uh, yeah, I'm not a huge huge on Rizzo now. I'm really curious where he goes as a free agent. Um, I think that will that could have a decent size impact on his fantasy value for the rest of his career. And um, I don't know. I really, I do, I do like the team. I want to, I want to pick apart the bullpen, but it's, it, it's just kind of just, if Kareem checks the closer, then it's fine. That's, that's really it. Cause it's like him and class A. If they split it, it's, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Guys, what do you think? Um, I'll start with Starling Marte because I wanted to shit on him earlier. Um, in a real life move, I really do like it to the Mets, but from a fantasy perspective, I know I have him in a three in a three player keeper league, and I have a couple other options, and I'm no longer considering Starling Marte as a keeper option. Um, the Mets have not had a player steal 30 bases since 2014. It was Eric Young Jr. on a team that basically didn't exist. It was terrible. In order to find that ceiling and even just like a decent floor that he had we need to have like a full-blown organizational shift from the Mets and say we are going to run we are going to be a speed first team um and it's just it's been years they haven't been on the top half of stolen bases since 2014 and then beyond that they haven't been a perennial threat on the base paths since like the mid-2000s you're talking about the David Wright and Jose Reyes when the game was completely different um so I actually really think that hurt Evan's ceiling a lot 
And Marte is one of the guys that actually tends to play a little more than those other guys in the outfield that we mentioned. Um, from there, a lot of my criticism is similar to what we had in the content, um, but I'm out on Anthony Rizzo. Like I'm not gonna pursue him in any redraft formats. Um, what we saw last year was a second half 2021 with the New York Yankees. And is it gonna get better than the New York Yankees? Probably not. Maybe he does better in Boston, um, but it's hard to imagine a better landing spot. He had 40 ro 41 runs in the second half. Like that's nice. That's really good if you duplicate those numbers. Um, 12 home runs, okay, but it's not gonna bring you anywhere special uh, from the first base spot 28 rbi that's flat out bad two stolen bases you'll take it and a 346 obp which is pretty much just eh, it's not going to hurt you and it barely helps you uh on a team that performed really poorly in on base percentage last year like gone are the days of, of the 400 obp from anthony rizzo um honestly jordan's first baseman now cj cron was completely free and i think he's better than anthony rizzo for 2022 so and he in should start round castle <laughs> Well, and I, I, that's exactly what I was about to say was in fairness, I think the real answer for, for Evan and, and the response that he should have is, okay, I'm just going to put Mountcastle or Mancini there. And then Rizzo becomes a util guy or just gets completely bounced. Um, the one thing I would say for, for Evan is if Rizzo does get bounced, if he's on your bench, you just need to drop because you're not waiting on anything for, for Anthony Rizzo, right? And I think that's one of the opportunities where teams who are kind of on the periphery of competing um, can do a good job utilizing roster spots on not just stashing guys in case somebody gets hurt or stashing guys in case, um, you know, in case he gets a hot week in, in July or August or whatever it may be. Use that roster spot to aggressively pursue somebody who breaks out in the first month of the season in the first two months of the season and see if that can turn into a longer term asset for you. So I think about what I did last year with like Cedric Mullins, like rather than wasting that roster spot on Anthony Rizzo, cut him loose, go after somebody who's, who's producing right now, somebody who, you know, I'm not saying you're going to find a Cedric Mullins every year, but somebody who could put, you know, turn into somebody who goes from undrafted to going somewhere in the, in the top, you know, 200, 300 picks, something like that. And I, I kind of agree with you guys a little bit on Rizzo, but I do want to push back in some sense. I mean, I, I will agree. I don't think if, if Evan is looking to contend that he should have, uh, Rizzo as his starting first baseman I think I think that there's not enough power there and you need to have power at first base if you're looking to compete it's just it's just position you have to do that if you're not you're going to have a mar massive marginal um, deficit you're going to have that position compared to all the other contending teams but I do like him as a util player like I mean that OBP is elite I mean it's a 360 or at least 370 probably OBP and that's a that's a really strong I mean he's gonna get plenty of a bat so that's really a I mean you put that in util spot that's a great that's a great guy to have if he's hitting you know gonna have 25 home runs 80 RBIs something like that I mean that's, that's the kind of player you want in your util spot but he's got to get better at first base just overall um I do want to talk a little bit you know, about his pitching though I mean guys do, you, do we believe in this pitching like I, I mean we're talking about Aaron Noah I mean Aaron Noah I just I the ceiling uh, is there, though. I just, I just, I question if he's really going to get there. If how I don't love the ratios that much for Aaron Noah. I like the strikeout ability. Um, Eduardo Rodriguez, I think there's some potential there. I, don't, I thought that was a nice pickup. I mean, you know, you might have a guy like Chris Bassett give you decent ratios. I mean, are we really believing in Jack Flaherty or you know Kyle Hendricks? Like, is this is this a rotation that can? that can win Evan a championship. I mean, I look at it. I don't see it. I also look at his, his bullpen. I mean, I don't see nearly enough saves. Jack, we were talking about the other day, how much, how many saves you need to win. He doesn't have nearly enough to win um, right now. So like, as it stands right now, this roster does not look, look, look like a contend for a title, even if the offense performed at top, at peak. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think that's probably something we should have let off with is that the offense is actually the strong side of this profile. Um, and the bullpen really is atrocious. Um, to borrow point earlier, I think Karen Jackstra have done and Classe is probably a top three closing asset. Um, I think Classe is probably the guy I would pick to challenge Hendricks and Hayter for the number one overall closing pitcher next year. 
Um, if there was going to be a guy, I'm not saying he will. I think he's the guy who has it in the tank. Um, but going to the starting rotation, I really don't like it. I like Aranola because it's hard to replicate 200 strikeouts with a good health track record. And even if the ratios aren't there, that's going to put him in a decent spot to contend. He's a long inning guy. He'll get you the quality starts. The Phillies will win enough games. Um, he's not a five category stud of a pitcher that everyone wants to dream him of, like what his skill set probably says he can be. But he's a pitcher you need to hold on to, especially on this roster. Uh, he has to hold on to Jack Flaherty because it's the same thing. That's where the ceiling is. But I don't believe it like I believe in like some of my guys per se. Um, where he really needs to improve is just he's got a lot of guys who are ratio focused with no K ceiling. Um, I mean, Marcus Stroman's a good piece, but how good of a piece is Marcus Stroman when you already have Chris Bassett? Kyle Hendricks is like the redundancy squared. I yeah. mean, he's the worst version of both those guys. Um, is he really going to roll into the season with like Chris Paddock or Coltman? I don't think so. Those aren't guys that are going to win a championship. Um, so he probably has to use his minor league assets like a Garrett Mitchell and maybe one of his younger bats to go get a stud. And like, that's what this takes for this team to go to the next level. He needs a stud. Yeah. And I, I totally agree. I think that he actually has, a, his rotation has a pretty high floor. I think this is a really, I think in general, this is a maybe a higher floor pitching staff. And the team is in general is a high floor team, but the high, the ceiling on the, on the pitching side is very limited. And then the just the injury risk on the hitting side is makes it a concern. So I guess in some total it's, but that, that, that's, that's probably the, the downside, right? But what's the, what's the remedy? Like, what does he need to do? Jack, you already mentioned some ideas like uh, Bardo and Jordan, what do you guys think? What's some, what's, what else could he do to fix this? Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with the package, uh, a young bat, you know, whether it be Verdugo or Mount Castle, if he holds on to and believes in Rizzo uh, for just, you know, so, and, and Garrett Mitchell too. Uh, I know he's been trying to uh, get something. Uh, I think I think I think he's talked to me about Garcia. If I'm remembering right, um, I can I, I I never see all the all your guys' names on my on the Fantrax app on my phone. So I'm always like looking back through different places to figure out who's who. Um, but I uh, I I do think um, a, a big move would be necessary. Maybe even put Eliza Hernandez. I'm not sure how much different people in here value him. And and Verdugo for for some bigger name pitcher uh, that can really give be more of an impact uh, that like gets them out of out of that kind of like you know high floor low ceiling guys like Bassett and and everyone everyone that yeah, you mentioned Trent really um, that is kind of like you know it, it's like the Rockies you know the, their whole team that is like made up of the exact same guy you know Jordan any other ideas. I, it's really tough because I, I think in order to compete in this league, you need to be near the top when it comes to bullpen. But bullpen is also usually the last piece that people are putting together. Usually it's the bullpen that is keeping you from competing, if that makes sense. So then you go out and you move surplus bat for a closer early in the season or in the off season. So my initial reaction, because I think the, the bullpen is the weakest part of the, the team here, my initial reaction is, hey, go talk to Dave about Aroldis Chapman. Dave is, has offered Chapman to him, to, to me. I think there's reason to be concerned with Chapman, but who do I feel better about, Chapman or chasing saves on the waiver wire? Chapman, 100%. Um, and so I, that's my initial reaction is go talk to, to Dave about Chapman. Go find another guy who's going to get you 20 to 30 saves and holds somewhere in that in that range to boost your numbers but then my my other answer is how much are you gonna have to pay to get Chapman and is that going to prevent you from getting what you need in the in the starting pitching department yeah I think he can address his starting pitching with what he has and I think Jordan has a good point that like he kind of has to pick which battle he thinks he's best equipped to fight is he going to find a high upside arm on the waiver wire or is he going to find the saves on the waiver wires or through the draft? Um, I know what I think is easier. Um, I think finding the high upside arm on the waiver from a starting pitching perspective is easier, but Trent on your end, you always seem to do a good job of picking up relief pitchers who have that like high ceiling. Um, so it's really going to be a battle there, but 
he has like he's inquired to me about Montas. That's probably a player that he needs. Um, <clears throat> I think Jose Barrios makes a lot of sense on this team as a guy who just has decent ratios, high K ceiling, and has one of the best health track records out there. And I think probably packaging, I like Alicia Hernandez. I think he's actually very good. Um, packaging someone like him, Garrett Mitchell, you have Luis Patino in that system, and you probably need to like take any combination of those guys and add a real proven young guy to get a Berrios, mm -hmm. but it's probably something he should explore. Yeah, absolutely. Those are all really good ideas, and hopefully that that's helpful to to Evan. Um, definitely, you know, plenty of potential with that team. Just you know, he's got to figure out with the assets he has how to best maneuver to finish it off and be a contender to win this. Um, yeah, I got, I want one strategy. I uh, just, just popped in my head. Mm -hmm. uh, why not try to trade Trout? I offered for Trout, um, but I want the Machado route. But you know, maybe if he just went over to someone like Jose, who has a plethora of aces, maybe that's how Evan bridges the gap. Um, it, it's crazy, but I like the idea, Bardo. I like it a lot. When you say you went the Machado route, did you mean you tried to offer him Machado? Or you I, ended up pursuing Machado in lieu of Trout? I tried to offer him Machado plus. So I said, Machado's the core. Like, how would you want to build around this deal for Trout? And he shut the door in my face. I mean, he didn't even really listen to it. Um, really? So he's got Bregman at third, though, which I mean, yeah. a redundancy to Machado. So I mean, if you maybe give, yeah, I think of a pitching centered, like, I think, I think a Jose might be actually a good partner, like you said, Jack, for somebody like that. Maybe, you know, I mean, he's got some high-end arms. Jose does that he could easily flip and really invigorate his offense with – he told me he told me the other day he's looking for outfield help. So, that would be a good fit. Good suggestion. So, awesome. Well, um, guys, um, nice job on all these segments. Uh, let's, let's take it outside baseball just to close it out. Um, I actually wanted to – you know, I, I mentioned this earlier. We have our, our resident uh, – communist socialist Jordan here <laughs> and uh we have two uh well-established capitalists and uh Bardo and Jack so uh you know guys just just let's let's make your case for the economic system you think our country needs uh you know Jordan we'll we'll actually yeah we'll, we'll let you start and then uh what the other what the capitalists have the day after that listen memes are fun Talking shit is fun. Being an asshole to be an asshole is fun. <laughs> what I really advocate for is just a stronger social safety net in this country. There's no reason that we should have kids going hungry. There's no reason that we should have a, a minimum wage that if you work 40 hours a week puts you at or below the poverty line. Um, it, it just shouldn't be something that, that is taking place in what is supposed to be the greatest country in the world in, in 2021. Um, and that's really what it what it comes down to. If you if you really want to be America first, you have to actually take care of your people at, at a certain point. You don't get to pick and choose who those people are. Um, if, if you're gonna if you're gonna put it out there that that we're America first, we we actually do have to at a certain point step up and and take care of our citizens. So that's that's really where I come at it. Not to get too real. Um, yeah. Awesome. So you want you want you want to be like Canada, basically. They seem all right. They seem all right, man. Mm. I don't know. A little, a little less well, snow. Well, Bardo, what do you think? Well, um, you know, 200 years ago, 85% uh, of the world was living in poverty. Uh, today, that number is 9%. I, I can 100% contribute that to capitalism. Um, <laughs> saw that stat today. Uh, but uh, I really, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a strong advocate for the free market. Um, uh, as much as I think NFTs are pretty stupid. Um, you know, people can do what they want. <laughs> um, as as far as as far as you know, going back to, to Jordan's point, just like strictly, uh, you know, in America, uh, you know, not the birthplace, but like the thriving center of uh, the capitalist market. Uh, you know, all the way all the way back throughout America's history. Um, I, I think you know, especially uh, in, in since this presidency, we're moving more and more kind of towards uh you know i don't want to say towards communism you know tiny 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 baby steps uh but you know the first step is uh inflation so there you go and you got a six percent inflation rate this year so if you didn't get a five percent raise at work you got a uh decrease in salary 
Yeah, I think my lucky stars every day that my wages are tied to inflation at a bare minimum. That uh, that makes me happy. But I will uh, I'll shift away from the economic system and just like in the system we exist in, I would like to see us move towards a consumption tax basis. And I think it's really stupid that people sign up to live life. I mean, they don't even really sign up. We all just placed here. And another gov a government entity basically owns 20% of your time if you're on the bottom. It doesn't make sense. Money. And the higher you go and the more you succeed, they own more and more of your time. And if 100% taxation of wages is slavery, at what point is it not? Um, it's really tough to tell. So I want consumption taxes. I don't want public office holders to be able to trade equities that they can advantageously pull levers via their policies to make money on. Um, I just want the playing field to be leveled. And I think if we do those things um, inadvertently, we do raise the bottom. Um, <clears throat> Consumption-based taxes solve a lot of the loopholes that many scream and shout about um, when mega moguls appear to pay 0% income taxes. Let's just shift on what we can consume, distribute it a little more fairly, raise the social net, and live happily. Just throwing term limits while we're at it. For sure. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I love a good term limit. I very, very, very much do love a good term limit. Make Everyone them invest does. in the shitty fixed income that they've ruined and put a term on them. Gentlemen, that was riveting. I love that. Um, thank you for your amazing insights into our economic system of today. Um, just to close out, uh, you know, we'll go uh, Jordan, uh, Jack, Bardo, guys, uh, give us give us just one fun fact as we, uh, or one thing you just like to say, anything you want to just get off your chest as we close off today, close out today. Jordan, what do you think? I think the, the best thing that I've discovered today, you know, as recently as, as about three o'clock this afternoon is that if you look at uh, the Hall of Fame ballot tracker on, on Twitter, which is run by at not Mr. Tibbs, I believe, uh, is a nice link to an Excel spreadsheet where you can track exactly who's going where, who's gained votes, who's lost votes, whether they're currently at uh, the, the threshold that they need to, to be voted into the Hall of Fame. And as of about three o'clock this afternoon, David Ortiz polling it at 75%. Meanwhile, A-Rod polling at only 54%, which as much as I am a, a Sox fan, if Ortiz gets voted into the Hall of Fame and, and A-Rod doesn't, I don't really know what we're doing with this whole set. Like, I, I just don't know what to say at that point. Um, so as fun of a fact as that is, it's also, you know, a little bit of insight into this whole system is is kind of fucked. Jack, nice. Um, I'll rebuttal uh, the, and it's not rebuttaling Jordan, but it's just further shaking the necks of the writers who vote for the MLB Hall of Fame. There should never be a world where David Ortiz is in the Hall of Fame and Keith Hernandez is not. <clears throat> um, you're talking about a co-MVP, World Series champion, arguably the best defensive first baseman of all time, um, sitting on the sidelines while David Ortiz, who has allegations of cheating the game on him and who was so insufferable in the field that he had the luxury to move to a place where he could just hit all day long. That was his only job. So David Ortiz has less F4. He only has nine WRC plus higher. So it's 131 versus 140. Keith Hernandez is a better player every day of the week and it's a true injustice to the game that we ignore a complete player and give one person who just hits the ball more accolade and appreciation than one of the most underappreciated greats or great sport you say Edgar Martinez is worse than uh, your boy I I have a respect for Edgar Martinez and he's one hell of a hitter and uh, I think I probably would have to look into Edgar a little more before I start slandering him I definitely won't take it off the table that Keith Hernandez is a better player than Edgar Martinez. I probably, we, we probably have recency bias. If we, if we just go into it without looking, probably. I'd, I'd say, fun fact, not baseball related. I went into work today. But, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of new people on my team that are, that are either new to me because they're in remote or not. Uh, and they're just like new to the team. 
and they're a lot of people are like close to my age. They all think I'm like 35 or something, but it's fine. <laughs> um, five people sat next down to me at lunch. All of them were wearing turtlenecks. And so my fun fact is turtlenecks are in. You do not know, apparently. I do own a turtleneck. I feel like that's true, but I didn't realize it was that in. That's really it was, I it was weird. I mean, we blamed it on them being out of, like mostly out of towners. <laughs> and you know, it's not it was not that it wasn't that cold today. I don't know. Jordan, you look concerned. I feel like you're a turtleneck guy. No, I was gonna say, Jack, I think you're the only one on this pod who could pull off a turtleneck. I, can see I Jack think with a turtleneck. Yeah. I, I think can... there's something to the lanky body that might work with the turtleneck. I think Trent Barto. Yeah, I think Trent Barto and I are already a little too. Uh, I, I don't want to speak for you guys, but I'd consider myself to be a husky boy, uh, and I, I just don't think turtlenecks speak well to that to that physique. So if somebody's going to do it, I, I vote Jack. Yeah. Well, guys, thanks so much for your awesome takes from turtlenecks to economics to baseball. Appreciate your your insights today it's been really good and to our listeners thanks so much for joining us today it's been a it's been a great podcast is again season season two episode two and we'll be back again here soon probably next few weeks it might it might not be till after the new year but uh next time we'll probably be breaking down our our big draft that we have uh every year and hopefully give you some insight into some of the young players in today's uh fantasy world uh so you guys again thanks for joining us and uh Look forward to coming to you again soon. Take care.